Welcome to this episode of Turdy for Turdy. Make sure you let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can either email us at tftpod2018 at thegmail.com. Don't type in the, that'll, that won't work. Or you can hit us up on the um, Twitter at... Uh, Which is more active now. Yeah, it, it's more active, like gonorrhea. Like, I'm actually uh, putting stuff up. But most of it's me just trolling uh, trolling Redskins reporters. So if that's your kind of thing, join in. Oh, and that handle is at turdy for turdy. That's That's correct. All right, everybody. Welcome to Turdy for Turdy. This is Andrew. I'm joined by the same person I always am in Maher. Well, maybe, you know, I disagree with that. We're all a little bit different every day. Psych. What's up? We never change. Um, so what's going on? What's up with you? Uh, you know, same, same old, same old. I guess I don't know, you know, crying myself to sleep and staring at people for way too long and not explaining why. I like that. That seems like a, a normal, wholesome thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's really awkward when you do it in the bathroom, though. <laughs> you know, this is kind of an awkward intro. Let's jump into the actual show. Hey, wait, can I actually start with a, like a real like awkward bathroom experience I had today? I mean, there's no rules on this, so go ahead. So, um, I was going to the bathroom at the building I work at, and uh, they had, the, the cleaning guy was in there, and he was kind of standing out, and sometimes when they do that, it's like they have one guy as a lookout saying, like, hey, don't go in there, we're cleaning. So, I was like, hey, you know, is this bathroom open? And he's like, oh, no, man, it's good, I'm just, I'm just taking a a break and then he proceeded to follow me into the bathroom and try talking to me and I walk up to the urinal and he's like oh you're not no you might not want to use that one <laughs> and then he he laughed like <laughs> afterwards you might not want to use that one you can use one of these cleaner ones over here <laughs> and I was like okay. um okay well I'm I'm gonna go on a year I'm gonna go on a stall then so I go in there and then he's like oh that one's good I just cleaned that one if the lid's up I just cleaned it and I was like okay and then I just I I really had to go to the bathroom so I went and he kept talking the whole time and I just stopped responding and I was like this is so uncomfortable (laughs) so you were inside the stall and this dude's still talking to you yeah the the with the door closed with the door closed yeah yeah and he's still talking to me, and I was like, I I don't like any of this. And then I went to go like wash my hands, and basically like ran out of the bathroom. And he just like was kind of standing there, like <laughs> nothing. It reminded me of that guy from Hey Arnold. The <sighs> oh god, nothing ruins a bathroom experience more than someone trying to have a conversation with you while you're in there. Bathrooms are for business. Like the only people I'm okay with talking to in the bathroom. Or like a relative or somebody I know a long time. Like you know when you know when that relative like is says like I'm gonna go to the bathroom and then you don't see them for twenty minutes and then you're trying to leave the restaurant and you're like, Hey uh grandpa, you, uh, you okay? And he's like, I've barely been in here, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm trying to read my stories. <laughs> and you can hear them tapping on their phone. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, don't people people of the show. Do not talk to people while you're in the restroom. Most of us don't like that. Those people are, like, right up there with, like, Hitler, you know? So, uh... <laughs> you, you didn't even try to correct me and say, no, you're being ridiculous. Nah, I'm just gonna let it go. <laughs> it's not worth it. Um, so we're gonna move away from football today, because we've talked a lot about uh, American football over the last couple of episodes, and we're going to move into uh, European football. So we're keeping the keeping the trend kind of alive. What's European football? Is that in the bathroom as well? Yeah, that's in the bathroom when you talk to somebody about football. When you like walk up to somebody at a urinal, look at them dead in the eye, and go, "Hey, what do you think of that Kyler Murray kid?" But I thought we were talking. To- 
Why don't you just say soccer? Stop being pretentious and be like, oh, we're going to talk about European football. And like, no, say soccer. It's football, and the field is called the pitch, and I will not change my ways. Tell that to Thierry Henry, am I right? Wait, what did he do? Any of the Hand of God guy? No, that was Zoltan. Was he? Yeah. No, there was a there was another guy that did it. Um, was it was it on a black a black Frenchman who did it against the uh, the Irish? Well, then that had to be uh, Henri. Yeah, I know. Okay, well, I I believe you. I might be googling it right now. I remember because I about. pretended to be you know an Irish fan because of my Irish roots, even though people think my last name is not Irish, but in fact like Islamic. You're right. Even though I, You're right. I don't look like that Ireland. at all. I told you. What's funny you. is when you search Thierry Henry, Hand of God, the first thing that pops up is a YouTube video called Hand of Frog. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. He's like, ho, ho, we're going to uh, touch the ball with our hands instead of our feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, we're, talking, we're talking football, a.k.a. soccer, for all you Americans. You Americans, like I'm not an American and I just said that. But does that mean? Does that mean we get like permission since we're talking about soccer, spe- specifically like European league soccer, just to go and like smash shit up and like break things? Oh my god, you, uh, you kind of, you kind of cucked me there. That's exactly what we're talking about. So, oh boy, so my I don't know intro, anything about it. But my that's intro, like my favorite thing about it. My intro was going to be talking about how fans make up a sporting event because. You know, you've gone to games with me and stuff. There's a big difference between when there's a stadium that's half full and a stadium that's completely full. Like it just changes how much fun you have at the game. Wouldn't you agree with that? Uh yes and no. Sometimes if it's a good game it doesn't matter cuz I uh I'm one of those people that just likes to go to watch the game. And so if it's empty but it's a good game, I'm okay. Um, but if it's full and it's a bad game, it makes a bad game slightly better, especially if you don't have a stake in the team that's playing. Uh, that's a fair point. And, or it's a home situation. And I mean, <laughs> every team has their crazy fans. Like I even wrote down some samples of crazy fans. Like there's that guy that roots for the jets that wears the hard hat with the jets logo painted on it. There was a bolt man, RIP. Uh, there's that guy that goes to Astros games and wears a like a clock on a chain around his neck, and he's there every game. He wears like the Flavor Flav clock. So every every team has their wild fans, but very rarely do you get things that are as wild as British soccer fans. I mean, they will die for their team. And I imagine I imagine every like soccer fan or football fan um, like the like a Euro trip. Well, that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about soccer hooligans and in specific, uh, one event that took place. But before I get into what our actual story is today, as I was researching all this, I found out about a guy uh, named Andy Nichols, who was a former like big time soccer hooligan. He's written, he's written like three or four written, sorry, like three or four books, uh, about his experiences and while I was going to tell the story of him, I th- thought what I actually am going to tell you is a little little easier to digest. But just some fun facts about Andy Nichols. He, uh, he was actually uh, registered with the British police as a Class C hooligan. They actually have classes of hooligans uh, dependent on how many times you've been arrested and how destructive you are. And once you hit Class C, that's actually like a felony, basically. Wow, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, this guy was wild. He also uh, received a ban from uh, from the European soccer, like the European soccer groups. He was banned from going to other European countries, or going to not going, not banned from going to the country, but banned from going to uh, football games in the countries. And he was actually banned uh, from going to away games in the Premier League, and he could, he was only allowed to be at Everton games because of how violent he would get at these away games. Wow, that's um, this is exciting. 
Yeah, the story is not about him, but I did think it would be fun to bring that up just to give you an idea of how big of a problem this actually was in like the 80s and 90s in in Britain. It's calmed down a lot, but when this guy was in his prime, it got pretty wild. I mean, the fact that soccer is legitimately the only professional sport that straight up has like 10-foot tall cages with like barbed wire around them for their fan zones should be a hint, though. So uh, these hooligans uh, actually form things that are kind of similar to gangs, and they call them firms. And uh, these uh, these firms will will end up in fights with other teams' firms, like before, during, or after a game. It doesn't matter. It can go off at any time. And most of them, even though they aren't considered wealthy, they'll take a lot of their money as much as they can afford to actually travel around and follow their team. And uh, there's there were some stories that he told about how, like, little towns and cities would freak out when these people would come to town because they were so destructive. And they would just, like, knock out shop windows and bus doors and stuff and then just leave town. So these people are just left, like, picking up the pieces of their businesses because these assholes came in and destroyed everything. Wow. Hey, so um, is this how Mattress Firm was born? Yeah, they were a fan of the Mattress FC, which was a team in Europe in the early uh, 70s. And, uh, yeah, they used to take full mattresses to games and just lay on them. Man, um, that, that'd be a heck of a fan zone right there. But, you know, I don't I, – I, I seem to recall the problem with them is, you know, they would never spring for anything. But – um. T- so um, he also told some stories in his memoir about um, fights that would be so big, like fighting in the street where police would show up and use tear gas. They'd bring dogs. He said there was a time they drove an armored vehicle through the fight just to try to freak people out and to scare them and even used water cannons on them. So, I mean, this, this is a problem. It was definitely a problem in the 80s and 90s. When you said that, I imagine like full riot gear European police because they always look so hardcore during these riots, just with super soakers, like police issued all black super soakers, like spraying down people, even though I know that it was much more not, it was a lot more painful than that. I was going to say, when I used to talk to some people that, uh, we're like, oh, they're just spraying water. I'm like, no, that's not just water. That's a weapon. Water pressure that high is definitely just a weapon at that point. When you spray a water hose at people in close proximity that has intentionally high pressure so that you can launch water to the top of a multi-story building, it doesn't feel good. I mean, you can cut yourself with the pressure washer, so yeah, that doesn't sound great. Yeah, no. Actually, when I was uh, in high school, my dad knocked out his truck window with his uh, power washer. Yeah, that's why I would never wash my car with one, even though I know a lot of people do. I just, I don't trust myself or water. Yeah, he didn't put the little nozzle on. He didn't screw it in enough, and uh, it just flew off and went right into his back windshield. Uh, Well, that's not the same as just doing it with straight up water pressure, though. But yeah, that's still not great. Uh, but in specific, specifically, what we're going to talk about today is actually the uh, Hazel Stadium disaster that took place in 1985. Well, this sounds kind of innocent. I wonder what bad could have happened. So we've started our story in the year 1985 before, so it kind of ruins my best picture top song thing I always do. But just as a refresher, the best picture was Amadeus and the top song was Careless Whisper by, by Wham. Is that exciting? Oh, wow. Well, I kind of forgot about that, and I still feel like in That's the 80s there, there should have been better material out there than that. So on May 29th, uh, the, um, the, European, the European Cup final was taking place between Juventus and Liverpool in Brussels, Belgium, at Hazel Stadium. So you had a lot of excited fans in town from those two teams gearing up for that game. Sure, there was a lot of uh, you know fans there with their little Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so Juventus, if you don't know, because I, I don't know how much you know about European soccer, but they're a top-flight club from uh, from Italy. But this 
this is kind of when they were starting to become um, the power, a bigger powerhouse than they were. So this is like right at the moment you started hearing about Juventus. I thought it was Juventus, or is that my uh, South Texan coming out? I always thought it was Juventus, but we could call it whatever you want. But it, it's, I think it's Juventus. Uh, well, you've been saying Juventus. Mm-mm. Uh-huh. Did I? Yeah, well, we'll, well uh, now you've go back and listen me. to this. We're going with Juventus, because that's what I've always said. You're right. I'm sorry. I said, you confused, yeah, I said you Juventus, me. and you were there saying Juventus. I, you know, I thought Ju- Juventus is what uh, Hitler did to the Jews. That's not good. That's not funny. <laughs> yeah, that was a failure. All right, so we're back. We had to take a little break there. It's Juventus. I'm sorry for my stupid pronunciation that I was doing, but we won't have that mistake anymore. Anyway, this was actually their third appearance in the European Cup final, uh, which it had been going on since the 50s, so it's not like they were there every year. Uh, they had lost the first two that they played in, and in this one, in 85, they were going to play Liverpool. Liverpool was a much bigger club at the time. They were one of the best British teams. Uh, they'd won uh, three out of five of the European Cup finals they had been in. They were popular internationally. Um, the name and the logo were well-known all over the globe. So this was um, uh, kind of like a newer, a new really strong team versus a pretty well-established team that had already been there and done that. What um what league are they in? Uh Liverpool's in the Premier League. But Juventus. Juventus is in the top British I mean the top uh, Italian league. Oh, okay. I mean That's where I, Ronaldo just went if that tells you kind of their level. So they got they got that um spaghetti sauce money from them shipping it over to America. Wah 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 wah. Like, we're going to get us uh, the best guy who's a really good-looking but makes terrible <laughs> we take the handsome. We take the handsome Portuguese man. <laughs> he probably cannot... He probably will not even try to learn Italian and is running around speaking Portuguese. And Every time we try to talk confused. to him in Italian, he just goes, wah, 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 wah. And we're like, that's a Mario. Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. <laughs> so the problem at this World Cup, or this European Cup final started before the game even began. Uh, And I mean, not the day of. I'm talking a couple of weeks before that. Uh, Liverpool and Juventus officials were trying to get the game moved to a different site because the stadium in Brussels, Hazel Stadium, was not in the best shape. It was literally crumbling. Like, pieces of it were falling off of the stadium. So it's not a great situation. Or if you're FIFA, it's the perfect place to have a World Cup final. Because, you know, they I mean, love sa- disasters. Sounds like it. So UEFA officials didn't listen to either team, didn't care what they had to say, and decided that they were going to keep the event going as planned. They're not going to change venues. They, did, they said that they did an inspection to check it, and that inspection lasted all of 30 minutes. Yeah, we hired this inspector to go around and uh, look at everything. I don't know why they talk like they're kind of from the New York area, but... Yeah, he he went around looking at everything. Um, sir, that man has a uh, seeing eye dog and a cane. Oh no, he's the best guy around. Well, you know, to he, give he you miss a to give you kind of an example of what I'm talking about on the day of the game, uh, there's stories of uh, fans going up and kicking holes in the outer cinder block wall outside the stadium and just walking in that way if they didn't have tickets. Well, I mean, everybody knows walls are just superficial, you know. <laughs> There's no such thing as a load-bearing I wall. I mean, imagine you're in LSU and you're walking by the stadium and you see some dude just kick a hole through the stadium and walk in. Like, to me, that was shocking when I read that. Well, American stuff, especially when it was built a long time ago, is so overbuilt. And also, LSU is really not uh, a safe stadium to really talk about considering it was originally built as dorms and then uh, – became stadiums after Huey P did some shady stuff, but oh, that's man, all another story. To... But there was broken windows and glass everywhere. We probably never should talk about that dorms. at some point, or at least you need to like do a mini episode on that story. Cause it's hilarious. Someday we'll do a, we'll do an LSU episode. There's some, there's some doozies in there. 
Um, I mean, I don't even know. Can you do a sports podcast and just talk about Huey P. Long? Because that would be kind of interesting. Because he he did a lot. I mean, we can just not the right way. We can do whatever you want. And then got assassinated in the governor's office while he wasn't the governor. Yeah, he's a he's a character. Um. So anyway, back to what we were talking our story. Uh, so before uh, tickets were sold, each team was given specific sta- uh, st- sections for their fans. So their idea was we'll block off sections for each fan group and keep them separated that way. The Juventus side was sections O, N, and N, while the Liverpool side was X, Y, and Z. And those were the two, uh, the, the two uh, sides behind the goal. So it was both sides behind the goals, both ends of the stadium. Uh, I mean that's that's makes it a competitive advantage because like both teams are gonna have to deal with some shit you know for a half. That's that's true. That's a good point. I and mean, that's I guess that's why they did it maybe. But I think the main thing was just keeping these people as far away from each other as possible. True, but you could also do that by putting them on each sideline. That's that's true. Uh, but in order to keep the peace and the fighting to a minimum. Uh, Belgian fans were actually given the neutral zone in sections E. So if you went to the stadium and you lived in Brussels to go buy tickets, most of the tickets you would be sold were either on the sidelines or in section Z, which was supposed to be like a safe zone. Sometimes it, uh, you know, it pays to be neutral. It's like, Hey, um, you know, I'm a super fan, but I'm like sitting behind the goal and I literally can't see what's going on on the other side of the field. Oh, I'm just a casual fan and I'm bringing my little Brussels sprout to the game. And we're going to sit in on this sideline. You know, we got this good discount on tickets. I don't know how Brussels people sound. So you missed a you missed a key part of that because I was saying Liverpool's side was X, Y, and Z. Yet the neutral area that they blocked off was in Section Z. So they took part of Liverpool's side and made it the neutral Belgian area. Well, like, was Belgium there, and then they decided, like, oh, we're just going to take that? Mm Mm-mm. This was decided at the same time. So, (laughs) um... To, needless to say, that kind of rubbed the Liverpool fans the wrong way. They thought that was kind of disrespectful to take a chunk of their tickets and give it to Belgian fans. Didn't like that. And uh, that also meant that Juventus had more fan sections than Liverpool, or at least more seats than Liverpool. Now, Belgium at the time, Belgium at the time, especially in Brussels, had a thriving Italian community. There's a lot of Italians in the area. And uh, since they were from Italy, most of them were also Juventus fans. So uh, the Belgians that bought tickets for Section Z, that so-called neutral zone, actually ended up being a bunch of uh, Juventus fans. So oh, this this sounds like nothing bad can happen. Yeah. So is is, is a, it me or are Italians like the like that one like group of people that literally pop up in every country and have like this super tight like community where they act like nothing's different? Like I'm sure if you go to Japan, there's just a group of like Italians that can't speak Japanese and like you know, talk about making pasta and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Historically their, their communities have stayed pretty tight knit. So you're not, not wrong in that. The problem with this whole thing is that that ended up making section Z have a like Juventus Island in a sea of Liverpool red, which totally defeated what they were trying to do when they came up with this plan of keeping everybody sectioned off. Uh, to protect the Belgian section, stadium officials put up a little chicken wire because that always stops people, and that was to attempt to block them off from Liverpool. So it was, it was basically they put a little chain link fence up to try to block them from the Liverpool fans. Well, was it chain link fence or chicken wire? Because one one's meant for chickens and one's meant for people, and people aren't. It was are a okay. Let me correct chickens. myself. It was chain chicken link. wire is really flimsy. Yeah, it was chain link, but it was not very strong. It, it might as well have been chicken wire, but it was. It was, I guess, by definition, it would be a chain link fence. Was it made with aluminium? That I don't know. I didn't research what it was made out of. But they did try to add a like a no man's land area between that Belgian section and Liverpool. They blocked off a little pathway 
to keep them separated, keep them separated, and uh, put police in there. That 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 was their security measures. So that basically, you had a lot, the Liverpool fans, a line of police, a fence, and then the Belgian fans. I'm sure Sting enjoyed that. <laughs> Uh, so even with the security measures that they put in place, the two fan groups were uh, just a few yards apart from each other. And then on game day, the stadium had around 60,000 people crammed into it, and that was about 25,000 for each of the two fan bases and then just some neutrals thrown in there as well. You know, I wonder how strong any of that fencing was if that stadium is literally falling apart or they just, like, dr- drive some poles in the ground, like, just by hand and be like, oh, wow, that went in way easier than it was supposed to. Well, that's good foreshadowing because let's talk about all of that right now. Damn, I'm I'm accidentally ruining this, and I actually have no idea what's going on. It's good you don't know what's going on because it's about to get interesting. That was all the setup for what we're about to talk about right now. I am assuming it's going to get hairy, so like very hairy. Around 7 p.m. on game day, uh, that's when things started to kind of heat up between the Section Z and the Liverpool fans. Fans of both teams began to break off pieces of the stadium and started throwing rocks of, from the stadium of each other. So they were bending down, making rocks, like breaking a little bit of the stadium off to get a rock and then tossing it at the other fan group. Do you want to build a rock, man? <laughs> can you imagine that? Like, as soon as I read that, I was kind of floored. Like, can you imagine these guys, people just, like, tearing the stadium apart and just throwing rocks at each other? Like, that's ridiculous. Any building that you can just rip pieces off of and, like, make your own projectiles out of should not be allowed to have 60,000 people in it. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. And as every with every minute that the game came closer to kicking off, the throwing intensified. So as the fans got more excited, the more rocks they threw at each other. Of course. So eventually uh, the Liverpool fans had enough and started pushing towards the no man's land and the chain leak fits. And as bodies started pushing closer and closer, it's closer and they got more, uh, they got more, more power. They ended up knocking over the, uh, chain link fence and basically overpowered the cops that were in no man's land. Yeah. I feel like the untold story of this is going to be like how many of the cops like either retired after this or like shit themselves. Oh, it sounds terrifying. Because as the Liverpool fans knocked down the fence and started getting into the uh, section with all these Juventus fans, the Juventus fans, because they were outnumbered, started getting scared and they started to slowly back up, to back away from the Liverpool fans. Uh, They ended up running out of room and were pushed up to the perimeter wall of Section Z. And as more and more Liverpool fans flooded the section, the wall couldn't withstand the pressure, and it collapsed. Some of the Juventus fans escaped through the collapsed section, and then some did not. Because as the fight intensified, so did the Juventus sections on the other end of the stadium. So what you have here is you have them pushed up against this perimeter wall. The perimeter wall falls because the stadium's basically made out of paper mache, and that means people having like wall the wall fall on them and then trample them to get out because they were trying to escape. So man, I um this part like this this story kind of makes me realize like the difference in building standards that America has opposed to definitely literally the rest of the world. So um the Juventus fans on the other side, because they're on the literal other side of the stadium, see all this happening, and they start leaving their section to try to go help the fans that are over on that Liverpool side. Uh, they began to race around the stadium to try to find a route to get to the people that were being assaulted. And as they went around the corner, they actually met a large police presence that was coming in to try to help after the wall collapsed. Instead of just backing down and being like, okay, fine, we're not going to go over there, they started to fight the police, and they threw rocks, bottles, and stones at them for two hours. 
Um, well, what's the difference between a uh, a rock and a stone? You know, uh, and how much could those rocks really thing. hurt? Like, if you're ripping it off of something, it's basically just seems like it's got to be like you're throwing pocket sand at people. I while I agree with you, the point still remains that these people are chunking rocks rocks at the cops for two hours. Like, it might not be hurting people that bad, at least the cops. It might not be hurting too bad, but you're still throwing rocks at them. I mean, true. The, there was also a report of a Juventus fan running around and uh, firing a starting gun at the police. That was just a little side note that I, that I found, that there was a guy running around with, a, like, a starter's gun and just aiming at the police and firing, and even though it had blanks in it, he's just shooting at them. That's a good way to die. Yeah. See, this is another reason you know it's in Europe because I don't think police carry guns over there. Because if that were to happen here, like that dude would have been shot. Yeah. That, and no, the story no would pretty much end like here. It just well, for that like, one guy, you still have the problem of the other thousands of fans that are trying to beat you up too. Yeah. Well, you know, when a cop murders a guy with a fake gun right in front of you. Um, I think you kind of calm down a little, and then other people in the stadium hear shots ring out, and we're like, oh, shit, it's getting real. So this went on for, like I said, it went on for about two hours, and when things finally settled down, people realized how massive of a disaster this was because uh, 39 people ended up dying and over 600 were injured. Wow. Wait, so you you thought about this going on for two hours, like, was this all before the game? Or yes, this is still before the game? the game. Oh, wow. Did they even play the game? Uh, maybe, maybe not. You'll find out in a second. Uh, bodies were being carried out of the stadium on sections of iron fencing that they picked up from when that wall, the fence was knocked over, and they were uh, laid out and covered up with large uh, football flags. So they just got flags off of the stadium and covered up the, the bodies as they carried them out. Well, I mean, that's resourceful, you know. Uh, as the medical helicopters flew in to pick up the injured, most of those coverings were actually blown off, though, so it ended up with just a bunch of dead bodies in the street outside the stadium uncovered. Uh, I'm sure those were, like, not pretty to look at, considering they were probably bludgeoned. or Yeah, most like, of it was from trampling. Death. Yeah. So Ugh. things finally settled down. And uh, the UEFA officials, the Belgian prime minister, and the, the mayor, and also the city's police leadership all met up because they had to decide what to do from this point. Uh, they decided that abandoning the match was more dangerous than actually playing it. Uh, captains from both teams were sent out to talk to the crowd and convince them to remain calm during the game. And the game continued, or started, the game started that same night. How, as a player, how the hell do you go out there and play? Like, cause they they can't be that isolated where they don't know people were murdering each other. Yeah, not sure how you go. That seems like that's that would be tough to get through. It's like, hey, um, you want to go play this game? Um, yeah, we're not like a big riot and like a bunch of people died. You go out there and you play that game, cause if we don't, we're all gonna die. <laughs> if you don't play that game, they're coming after you. So. Before we continue, I, I honest to God, I don't under, I don't know what the right decision is there, because I do um, kind of see their point with the way people were already acting. If you said the game's canceled, then you're just gonna the riots probably gonna move to the streets, right? That's like what I thought they were thinking probably was. Yeah, I mean, if you have that volatile of a situation, um, probably having them confined might be better than letting them be in the wide open. Because, well, now they're, like, pissed off about the game and that. If you just let them open, they'll be pissed off at the fans of the other people and the fact that the game didn't happen. And each side will blame the other side. I think no matter what, if this happened in 2019, that game's not being played, though. Hell, if any of this happened in America, that game wouldn't be played. Nah, it'd be done. Like, it would have, it would have, well, I don't think they would have let it go on for two hours. They would have called them a National Guard. Or... Yeah, no, it would have been taken care of. Uh, not that the game matters, but just so you know, the first half was scoreless. And in the second half, Juventus was awarded with a penalty kick. 
And that penalty kick was the only goal scored in the game. So they won off of one uh, one foul and penalty kick. I mean, was it a legit one, though? The foul, yeah. I, I, couldn't, I took a look at it. I couldn't really find anything controversial with that. So the game itself didn't have much controversy. Man, I would I would hate to been involved in that game in any way, like as a ref or um I don't know, hell even like watching it on TV. So when the final whistle blew and the the game was over, the pitch was swarmed by media and fans. So the fans started taking the field. And Juventus players just celebrated in the middle of the crowd in the middle of the pitch. And they also went over to section M to celebrate in front of their fans while the Liverpool fans, hold on, I'm going to slow down on this. I want you to really pay attention to this next part. While the Liverpool players went over to sections X and Z and applauded them, which were the two sections involved in the tragedy. Wait. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So the Juventus people went and just like hung out and celebrated and the Liverpool people taunted and cheered on, or they taunted the fan, the other team that they just lost to by basically applauding and ingratiating themselves with the group that led to a mass riot. You're a half right. I don't know. I don't wouldn't say that they were taunting them, but they just went to go like applaud their fans for being royal, like loyal supporters. But they did go right to the sections where all this had gone down to applaud that group of fans. Not the group I, mean, I would be applauding. Taunting. Yeah, yeah. As I said that, I kind of see your point now. But yeah, I don't think that was. I wouldn't say that's the was the prime objective. There was to taunt them. If I was cheering and excited, and I saw these other people like basically, you know, cheering on just violence and hatred, I would been like, I'm a little concerned right now. Yeah, not not the right decision on that at all. Um, but. There wasn't another I mean, so, fight that broke out after the game or anything, so that actually didn't have much of a repercussion. I mean, so far, that seems like it's all kind of par for the course, though. Like, you don't have crazy batshit fans like that if it's not, you know, part of the whole environment and widely acceptable in the first place. True. I mean, the the players get just as pumped up as the fans, so it didn't surprise me. It just seemed like an odd decision. Uh, So, very quickly after this nightmare ended, they had to decide what they were going to do about it. Because, obviously, if you don't do anything, you start having these types of problems everywhere. Luckily, most stadiums aren't made out of of piles of rocks. But, you know, you're still going to... If there's no repercussions, there's still going to be problems down the road. So, officials met to discuss who was at fault. And the blame was placed squarely on the Liverpool fans. UEFA observer Gunter Schneider said only the English fans were responsible. Of that, there is no doubt. Can we, uh, yeah, can I uh, pinpoint that uh, ultimately I think FIFA is the one that's probably the most liable and responsible for it? It's UEFA, but yes, it's the same type of Or whatever it was. You said FIFA earlier. Well, I was talking about something else. I was saying that that would be the perfect stadium for the World Cup because I was making fun of the stadiums in Brazil that are falling apart. Oh. Well, you know, they'll do anything if you give them a lot of money. Yeah, there had to be a bribe involved in this too because otherwise that game should have been moved from a place that was actually stand or to a place that was actually standing. They're like, hey, man, you know, we really want to play this game here. It's like, your stadium's crappy. Yeah, but everybody's going to talk about it when people rip off a piece of the stadium and throw it at somebody. Look, I'm doing it right now. So uh, UEFA, stadium owners, uh, and the Belgian police were also investigated in their involvement. The investigation from this, uh, this event went on for 18 months. Uh, Belgian judge Marina Copieters, Copieters, uh, yeah, I probably butchered that, but she published a final report stating that English fans were totally at fault. 34 people were arrested and questioned about their involvement in the fight. And then a total of 26 Liverpool fans were charged with manslaughter, which was an extraditable offense. 
Um, an extradition hearing was held in London. And Wait, yeah, I'm I'm sorry to cut you off, but how do they know who was involved in the manslaughter specifically? Like, it's not like you could go back and pinpoint like, oh, that guy murdered a guy, like, because it was probably just all just a. And see, that's kind of what mayhem. makes this so interesting because I did look that up trying to figure out how they knew who it was, and I could never find like a good reasoning because back then you didn't have like digital tickets where you could pinpoint who was sitting in what seat. And so I could never find that. So I've been curious about that since I wrote this and like how they knew that they were getting the right people. But I think it just kind of goes on to show the kind of, you know, the nightmare and mess that this actually was. But um, would you say things got messy? Oh, yes. I was trying to actually think of a name to toss in there, but I couldn't. So we're just going to go on. Yeah, I know we're not talking about we're not talking you know, about Argentina, old Lionel. but still. But I, uh, I wanted to throw a, a soccer pun in there because I like no ten soccer players. Do you think you could name a whole team? Like, it doesn't have to be the same players on the team. Just could you name like one person at every position? No, because it. You know, the way it is, it's like everybody that's like famous is probably like a Ford. So, you know. It could probably name off a handful of them and like one goalie that doesn't ac- actually play in that league anymore. Yeah, Tim Howard. And when there was that one guy that got drunk and like ate a ate like a uh, food, but I don't even think that was in like the the top level. That was probably like low level. No, that was like the fourth. I know what you're talking about. That was like the fourth level down in in Britain. <laughs> So uh, an extradition hearing was held in London and all 26 of the Liverpool fans were sent back to Belgium for the trial of Mario Ranchi, a fan that died in the event. Wait, so so they put all that on a trial for one person? Yes. <clears throat> so they're accusing these 26 people collectively of murdering this one person when there was probably hundreds of people involved? On both well, sides, I think, and I like, think the reason and for you that, said 60, 60 something people died. Uh, 39. But yet they're doing one, one, or thir- like 40 people got murdered, and they're saying they're doing a trial for one person. Yeah, and I think, I think the reason for that was uh, it would be very hard to uh, pinpoint a murder per person. So. It made your case a lot stronger if you just take it as one person and be like, these 26 people led to the death of Mario, as opposed to saying that old Samwise Ganchi Liverpool fan killed this guy or, you know, uh, some other British guy killed this guy. Like, it'd be very hard to pinpoint specific murders on people. So they just went with the 26 people were involved in the manslaughter of this one man, just so they had a case to get them on. I mean, they could have done them on, like, inciting a riot or something like that and then, like, put them for the deaths of everybody that was involved. But that would probably involve, like, life sentences and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm just assuming that that's the reason. That's what makes sense to me. But I don't know what their uh, what their court system is really like to know if you can do that. Like, put them all the murders listed as, like, a group. I don't know how that works for for. Well, they're... The Belgians. Judges wear wigs, so I'm sure it's pretty goofy. So, due to the length of uh, time for discovery and planning of the trials and them getting lawyers and all that, uh, the fans were just sent back to London until a date of the trial was actually decided. So, the trial finally actually began in 1988, three years after... Uh, that game took place. So all these people went back to London and just were living their normal lives and Correct. then had to go back for a trial? Correct. That's got to feel weird. <laughs> yeah, that that would ruin, basically, that to me that would ruin my life personally if I had to sit three years and wait for a murder trial that I was involved in. These guys probably just going like to the pub every night and drinking pints and still watching soccer and not thinking anything was ever going to happen to them. Which, I mean, it may or may not. I don't know. This whole story is goofy as shit. So, uh, three Belgians were also on trial. There was Albert Rusens, 
who was the head of Belgian football, for allowing tickets to be sold to Juventus fans in the Liverpool section. As we said at the beginning, that was a know? bad idea. How do you know? Well, he like, he was the guy. He didn't. It's not saying that he personally sold the tickets. He's the one that planned the seating arrangement for the game. But like, you could have sold the tickets to literally like a British investment group, and like they turn around and resell them, and then just a bunch of Juventus fans buy them. And that's also true. But still, their whole thing was they had to. They wanted to get somebody at fault. They needed people to blame for this, so they went the easiest route so that they possibly could and accused this guy of being the problem because he did a poor job of planning the seating. They should just arrest the manufacturer of the fencing, you know? Just get, ev- get everybody. Yeah, get everybody. Just burn, burn down the whole world. Uh, two police chiefs were also on trial for this because of the response to the incident. The fact that it took them two hours to calm the crowd down or the fact that they just parted like the Red Sea as Liverpool fans came in. They were just like, nah, we're not doing this. Uh, I mean, in all in all fairness, you can't really expect a guy who probably doesn't make that much money to willingly stand and get the sheep shit beat out of him by like hundreds get the of sheep people. Beat out of him. The sheep beat at him, yeah. Well, they like doing other things with sheep in Belgium. Do they? You want to go into more detail? Not really. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody does. Kind of paint yourself in a corner. Nobody puts Maher in a corner. Well, I mean, I put myself in a corner all the time, and so did my third grade teacher. So It was a dunce hat, not like a molestation thing. <laughs> okay. I was wondering about that, but I wasn't going to ask. Uh, so in April of 1989, 14 of the 26 fan, fans were convicted of manslaughter and given three years. In a part that doesn't make much sense to me, the, the sentences were um, halfway suspended, so they spent like a year, year and a half in jail, and then they were returned to the UK. So they were kind of given some time off of it. That's the part that doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you give them three years. They... No, no, The my joke was this is the part that doesn't make oh, sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. None yeah, of this fair. makes any sense. So um, prosecutors in Belgium actually appealed the uh, the sentencing because they thought the ruling was too lenient. And then the fact that they also like let them go after half the time kind of frustrated them. And so in 1990, the sentences of 11 of the fans were increased to four or five years. So they were going to put them back in jail. Wait, after they got out of jail, they were going to put them back in? Correct. They were going to give them more that's, time. That's freaking like double jeopardy or something. Not over there. Um, well, they need Ashley Judd to show them how it is. Two of those 11 fans had their sentences upheld, and then one was completely acquitted of all charges, and then the rest just stayed as is. Like his angry people? Is that what you mean by as is? Yes, as angry football fans. Um, So the punishments were not just limited to the fans. They actually went after um, Liverpool, too. So it's kind of similar. Well, no, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say it's similar to Penn State, but Penn State's problem was they covered stuff up. Liverpool didn't really have to cover anything up here because it happened in plain sight. Well, yeah, I mean, it happened in plain sight, and you didn't have, like, you know, generations of coaches knowing that stuff was going on and uh, just ignoring it. So uh, English clubs were banned from all European competitions except for friendlies in 1985. Uh, That whole event, they're just like, nah, we're not messing with the English clubs anymore. And the band wasn't given a time limit. They just categorized it as indefinite. That is also BS because, like, it's clear that there was a lot of other stuff at play. Yeah, this was, I mean, yes. It's not like the, the players had a bad rap. People. But, uh, but still, this was more of an isolated incident than they want to give it credit for. Like, that didn't happen everywhere. I mean, at least not in, in England. I mean, it happens in a lot of countries, though. I've seen some, I think Egypt had some really bad stuff a while back. Yeah, I think you're right. So, uh, yeah, you're right about that, though. You do hear stories that of this happening in other places, but it's usually like one person dies from falling off a part of the stadium or is, is injured or something like that. It's not usually 39 people. So I think this kind of situation's more of an isolated incident since there's just so many people that were involved. Apparently only 26. Yeah. 
Only 26 of the swarm of people that went into that section. That's a, you're right. I mean, that's a crazy fact too, that only 26 people got in trouble for this when it was like a whole section of fans pushing into that. So here's a scenario. You have like a Black Friday sale or like a rare shoe thing. Cause those are like really dangerous. And a group of a hundred people trample a man to death and they arrest one guy. That's essentially what this is. Like, no, if you're going to like arrest people for trampling someone to death, it's really kind of impractical because everybody did it. Yeah. It's very clear. They just wanted to send a message any way they could. And of course they were angry. One of those, I mean, you're, but like, think of like how ridiculous it would be to be one of the 26 people pinpointed out of that and there's like dude my friend was next to me and he did more shit than i did he was bludgeoning a child and you've arrested me i was trying to get out of there i i was pushing a child away and he just started beating him up (laughs) and i'm the one in jail so uh anyway even though the ban was said to be indefinite it ended in 1990 and english teams were allowed to return to competition other than liverpool because they originally they were planning on suspending Liverpool from European uh, matches for forever, but they ended up letting them come back in 1991. And let me guess, something else happens? Mm-mm. No, oh. but I am gonna. I wanted to end with this little fun fact, uh, or it kind of it kind of tells you um, in a sport in in terms of the actual sport. This is the effect that this event had. Uh, before the disaster, the English were at the top of the world football coefficient ranking, which takes like the talent level of all the teams in your country and puts it together. That way they can rank countries by how good at football they actually are. Um, well, America wins, you know, cause we're the best at football, even if it's a different football. Exactly. Uh, so the English were at the top before this and when they were suspended, they got to keep the points that they had. So they kept the points that they are had, but that means that everybody else was gaining points and eventually overtook them. And they ended up falling out of the ranking during that time that the band was served. Uh, the band was served. Uh, they did not return to the top of the coefficient ranking until the year 2008. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big step back. Yep. So it, it actually had a, pretty negative effect on on british soccer in terms of that of course premier league just got more and more popular as time went on so it didn't really affect the clubs personally but it did affect their world ranking and so that was uh that's the the hazel uh, stadium disaster what a what a fun story mm-hmm. i thought so very light-hearted just entertainment Really, you know, it just makes you feel like everything's right in the world and that nothing ever could go wrong. You know, we always complain about, like, security lines and how long it takes to get into stadiums and all that mess, but doesn't it make you appreciate that a little bit more? Well, I think in this situation, you know, when people were beating other people to death, um, that metal detectors might not have fixed the problem. True, but it gives, it at least gives the illusion of, power in terms of security like if they're doing that much checking you're less likely to try anything so it does I do mean, that you, you didn't even have to bring in weapons they were giving them out well a guy had a starting gun that he was firing so yeah you could get weapons in there i mean you could or you could rip the wall out and throw it across the the aisle at somebody yeah like, thank god i've never been to a stadium that's i could literally take pieces of it home with me and I've been to the Texas Stadium before Jerry World was built. Uh, well, you know. It always wanna, goes back know, to Jerry. Damn it, every episode one of us brings up Jerry Jones. I mean, hey, you know, we kind of like grew up in a specific state, so. Where Jerry is king. And for a long time, as part of our, 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 our uteness, uh, that was the only football team. Good point. Stupid blackout rules. I mean, none of us went there ever specifically for the purpose of watching, you know, the cowgirls play. So at least we got that. Good point. But yeah, that's uh, that actually also, this is just something I'll throw in at the end too. 
that actually is what kind of stopped the uh the like incredible violence of the the hooligans like they still get in fights these days but that's kind of what ended the riots and stuff because after that security measures went up a lot there was more of a police presence at games there was more um more checking and vetting you know before the game more security so this uh this actually did bump up security all through Europe when it came to to football games or soccer as you like to call it uh, well, I mean, for me, mentally, it helps to call it soccer because I'm able to distinguish it um, better. Um, but fair. That's a this is a this is a fun topic. Yeah, and next week we'll talk about more murder, the story of <laughs> O.J. Simpson. Because I know you've never heard that one before. Um, did he play for the Broncos, or is that just the? I car think he played he for Liverpool. He was actually at okay. this game. And uh, what's his name? And uh, Ron Goldman was a Juventus fan? Yeah, th- there you go. That's what it was. And so was uh, OJ's wife. And he put up with it for as long as he could, and he just couldn't take it anymore. So he trampled. But but Cato Kalen, he was Liverpool all the way. Liverpool FC. Or was he Belgian? He just kind of, you know, was he was neutral. <laughs> he was in Section Z just eating popcorn and wondering why this was happening to him. If if all of if literally if you put him in that situation, he would probably come up with a way to just like not know what was happening. Screw this! I'm going to McDonald's. <laughs> did you ever hear that story? By the way, like apparently that same night that OJ did the murders, he came back and Kato Kalen was just chilling in the house, and OJ walked up to was like, "Hey, you hungry?" And Kato was like, "Yeah, I can eat." And they went to McDonald's together that same night. <laughs> like nothing happened. Wow. I mean, but. I mean, the thing is, only really one person knew or could have even. True. I'm not saying it's happened. Kato's fault, but. Yeah. But still, just a little random OJ effect for you to end things what, off. What a way to get famous. Not not OJ. He was already yeah. famous. What a way to get that infamous. Made him infamous. Yep. Nailed it. Man, you know, when you think about OJ, uh, we might actually have to do something on him, but the fact that, like,. How many people got famous for that just for being, like, a part of, like, that situation? And then, like, I mean, literally, like, that sprung the Kardashians, and now that ruined the world. So, OJ, you know, he's he is a terrorist. He ruined the world. He ruined the world. Next week on the show, how OJ ruined the world. We're not doing that. I'm just saying it. That would be cool. But then instead of talking about the football player, we talk about orange juice. Yeah, that damn orange juice. It ruined the world by making Florida relevant. All right. So, um, yeah, that was that was our episode this week. Uh, Maher said something very important at the end there. Never give Florida any credit. They need to stay irrelevant. And that's all I got. You got any final words for us? Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I like going to sporting events and stuff and saying like, oh, you know, I've been there and like, if I ever go to Europe, it'd be like, it'd be, I think it'd be really cool to like go to uh, a soccer game, but this kind of makes me, uh, or a football game, but this kind of makes me like a little, um, wary. Like, I don't know how I would be just as some random dude just being like, this is fun. I like competitive games. And then there's like some dude like strangling like another fan next to him like homer simpson and bart if you did go you would either want to a go to a ho- the home game of the team you like so that way you got strength and numbers or b just be as neutral as possible and not even wear the colors of either team playing just i feel like this perfect answer to all that questions is if you're ever going to go to like any like european event wear an american flag t-shirt and just like and and just put on a fake like southern accent and no one will mess with you. Yeah, well, hey, be, I'm here to that, watch that soccer ball. That would definitely add some confusion for sure. It it probably would. But you know, I, I don't want to get trampled or like beaten to death or, you know, bludgeoned with stadium pieces. Well, instead of doing all that, contact us on our Twitter account at TFT or at Turdy for Turdy. Sorry, I must have the email. I messed that up. At Turdy for Turdy, we'll be there. 
We're active now. I just want to say that one more time. And uh, we will see you next week with another episode of Turdy for Turdy. Bye.